Welcome to my Women Influencers and Business and CRE podcast, where I'm recording this intro from Alaska. I am Veronica Malala, CCIM, founder and CEO of Capital Stack Real Estate Group, a commercial real estate company serving the greater Orlando area. Today's guest is Marissa Limshako, a champion tennis player, West Point graduate, and successful woman entrepreneur. Please don't forget to hit that thumbs up button and subscribe below. I welcome your comments and please share with someone who can benefit from this podcast. Hi, Marissa. How are you? Hi, Veronica. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me today. Oh, man, I'm really so excited. And I, I think you know why I'm excited. First of all, you're a Filipina, just like me. Yes. And I think that's so special. Uh, plus the fact that you have such a wonderful story. You're still a young woman. And so I can't wait for you to tell us all about how you grew up and how you got to where you are today. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to share. Okay. So, you know, just like you, I, I have had pretty untraditional path to where I ended up today. I've tried some different things, but at the heart of it, I was born here in the United States. My parents immigrated from the Philippines. And so I grew up in Houston, Texas, really with kind of three mentalities and foundational kind of drives for my immigrant parents. And I think number one was really take advantage of all the opportunities here in the United States. And you have all of these opportunities. And I think what's really a key note to, to that upbringing was how they there was no especially growing up, I played tennis and I was really good. And there was never a, hey, you're playing against the boys or you're playing, you're a girl. So you're going to, you know, you're not, you're different from boys. My dad never differentiated in that. And so until I was like 12, 13 years old, when like those changes started happening, I was always beating the boys and playing and never in my mind really had that diversification of that fact. And I think that's kind of what led me to have the confidence to do some of the things I did as, as I grew up. And wow. an, another factor I'd say is, is hard work and grit. And you, you as an immigrant yourself understand, you know, the importance of that. And I'd say one of the lessons and stories that I'm, I'm fond of is I was, it's a tennis story again. I was, I think, eight years old and I was playing 12 year olds. I was beating, you know, kids that were older than me. And before I started winning like first place, there was a whole seven to eight months that I was getting second place. Um, and by the way, I was still, you know, playing these older kids. And I'll never forget, like after I was like crying, I was upset. And then when I finally won that first trophy ever in my life, mm -hmm. my dad told me, you know, never forget how hard it was and how hard, you know, you did not give up to get to this. And the journey before you get to this is what makes it so special. Absolutely. And I think that's when you're going through tough times to remember that that moment that is the tough time is what makes it worth it on the other side. And so I, I played tennis throughout. I, I played tennis and I was a musician and I kind of veered towards tennis to kind of be my main thing. And I played uh, in the junior circuit around the country. And because I was at that competitive level, I was as high as, you know, top five in the state of Texas. I was ranked in the country. I was recruited by colleges to play uh, division one tennis in college. So at this point, this was already around high school. This was high school. Okay, yes. perfect. Yeah. And so I was recruited by a number of schools around the country 
and one of them being uh, the United States Military Academy at West Point, which was never really actually uh, on my radar. (laughs) And I, yeah, I ended up choosing that one because I saw it as just a very unique opportunity. Absolutely. And just for the sake of listeners, your father, I know, is a physician, correct? He is. Yes. And your mother is also in healthcare. She's a nurse, as most Filipinos. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Well, that's that's fantastic. But was there someone in your immediate family that was already in the military that uh, kind of encouraged you to go to West Point? I love that you brought that up. It was my grandfather and my mom's dad, and he wasn't in the military. But I remember when I was getting the letters from West Point, I'd throw them away because I'm like, why would I want to go to the military? Why would I, you know, I've been getting letters for two years. Right. And then the fall of my senior year, my grandfather just happened to be visiting that summer before. And he saw me about to throw that envelope away and he stopped and he's like, whoa, why are you throwing that away? And I was like, because I'm not going to go to a school like that. And he goes, oh, my gosh. He was like. (laughs) And, and I'll tell you this, and it's a beautiful story the way it started out. He's in the older generation, right? And so he didn't really pay as much attention to me than my boy cousins. He just had more, well, he had more in common. And I think for me personally, that was the first time he'd given me this type of attention. And right. I was like, okay, I'll listen, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And I'll just apply and I'll just go visit and get a free trip to New York, but I'm not going to go. But, you know, I ended up seeing the value when I got there. And I'll say that the times that I wanted to quit when I was there, I always thought of him because I was like, I I need to prove to him that women can do this. That's awesome. And the beautiful story out of this is my boy cousins make fun of make fun of me now. But like my sister and I ended up graduating from West Point. And because we graduated, we were like you know, on the pedestal for him. Our pictures were everywhere and he bragged about us. And he even said, you know, women can really do anything nowadays. And he learned that lesson. And I just love that he came full circle, you know, into his older ages and and saw that, you know, women can indeed do things. And, And it's interesting because the older generation, which I think at that point, your grandfather probably belonged to the civic generation they were not aware of the fact that women can do just as much as men, right? Oh yeah, he was in a a generation where women stayed at home and they took care of the kids or, you know, they taught, like that was pretty much it. (laughs) And I think it's worth also noting as a, actually it's a question for you. I know you also got accepted to some Ivy League schools. Am I correct in that? Some top- Um, Yeah. Some other schools and grad school I did. Yes. Ah, I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. You're, you're pretty fantastic, Marissa, but, but go on, tell us about how that journey moved you from being in the military to the business that you're in today. Yeah. So, you know, backstory to the timing of me attending West Point, this was uh, 2001. And when I was recruited, it was this aspect and, and cell of we're a peacetime army. You're probably going to get out in two or three years and go to mm. corporate America. You're not going to have to serve all that time. We're not even in a war. And as most people know, what happened in history that September, a couple months after we started, the world changed and 9-11 happened. 
And it turned into a very, very different dynamic and a very, very different outlook. We all had to grow up extremely fast. And so I ended up deploying after I attended school. And, you know, that journey and that that phase of my life was so special. And, you know, one of the most difficult, very difficult. I think every phase is, is difficult in different ways. But I think out of that, you know, going back to my upbringing, the grit, the hard work got me through. And I learned these new lessons of, you know, leadership. It's, it's the premier leadership institution in the world. So I, I got that advantage and opportunity with that type of education, specifically being able to lead in environments of chaos and bringing order to chaos. I really found my own confidence, I think, at that age too. I had to, you know, when you're leading especially a lot of men typically, and you're the only woman in a class with men, a lot, all my classes, I was the only woman, you know, I grew in that way. And then I think too, from a standpoint of just my deployment and seeing and going through a lot of adversity and, and seeing combat, this awe in, in human resiliency. And I think there's, you know, amazing lessons that came from my deployment. And I was there during the surge of Iraq, 15 months, Mm. a very colorful period of time. Unfortunately, we we had a lot of losses uh, of American soldiers during that time. And I think that experience, and because I went through that period of the war, really had my outlook as I came back with this, you know, you can't take life for granted. You have to go after Life is too short. Marissa, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you for your service. Of course. And of course, the brave men and women who fought continue to fight for us. Of course, we're just so very grateful for all the sacrifices, not just yourself and and the people in the military, but of course, their families as well. So I just wanted to make sure I said that. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. To those that serve today, I'm super grateful. I still have classmates that are lieutenant colonels now, (laughs) which is crazy. But but that phase of my life was that kind of next stepping stone to my decision to get out uh, after serving five years. And I think that decision was spurred from just this aspect of knowing where I would be maybe in 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I think this urge or maybe curiosity to exploring a more creative side of myself and kind of learning more about myself because the military is, you know, a certain way. Yes. And so wanting to see what life was like, and, and I'd lived like in the military for 10 years at that point. And so I wanted to explore this side. So I went to business school mm-hmm. and I did full-time business school, which is kind of ironic because you go to business school to get a corporate job, which is what I thought I was going to do. Yeah. And I left business school and I graduated, I didn't leave. I graduated business school with a business. And I ended up becoming an entrepreneur wow, <laughs> instead amazing. of instead of uh, business. And so uh, the, the last 10 years since graduating business school, I've been able to start four businesses, three specifically in commercial real estate mm-hmm. and, and two, you know, product based venture capital backed uh, businesses. Right. And why commercial real estate? I think it's just, it was honestly fate. I had uh, some contacts in grad school. I worked for Hillwood. Mike Berry, who's the president of Hillwood Hillwood Commercial, which is a business that the Perot's own. So Ross Perot Jr. owned that that business. And 
you know, they do a lot of development. So Mike Berry really took me under his arm and I got to do some interning um, with Hillwood to kind of see the development of, you know, some areas that you're developing in north of Fort Worth and Dallas at that point. And so that was kind of my first kind of experience to it. And then when I got out, Josh Feinberg, who's now my business partner, had approached me about our first business together um, in commercial real estate. And then I also had looked into investing in commercial real estate as well. And I think once I got into seeing the innovation, innovation or maybe lack thereof, of innovation uh-huh. in commercial real estate and the green fields of opportunity, it really motivated me to be like, hey, I want to try to make this industry a little bit better. So let's let's talk a little bit about your current company that you yeah. co-founded with Josh. Yeah. It's called Oso. It is, and yes. it is a fintech company in commercial real estate. And I know that there must have been a lot of challenges that went with starting the Oso company, getting funding. If you would care to talk about that and how you overcame those challenges, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. So we had some, I had some experience in fundraising with the previous two previous companies. And so we were very fortunate to, so Oso was actually a pivot from a previous company that we had together uh, called Tenavox. And what we have learned and throughout my journey and what I love about the entrepreneurial journey is listening to the market. At the end of the day, the risk of being an entrepreneur and the challenge is coming up with an idea. Anyone can come up with idea, but it's throwing it out there and seeing how the market takes it. Right. And typically the market usually doesn't take it the way you assume it's going to take That's it. Right. I've learned. And so we pivoted because when we had our other business, Tenavox, we were hearing these challenges around lease security and, and, and underwriting tenants in leases. And so we were like, huh. And then when we started playing around with the solution, we found that just the concept itself was getting us into more doors on a sales, you know, and then an investment uh, interest. And so we are like off the basis of this, you know, and there's some other factors with the other business that led us to pivot to Otso. And so we started Otso in 2019. And the first thing we needed to do was figure out how to underwrite businesses really quickly mm-hmm. and accurately, especially small businesses. And without boring everybody with, you know, the, the science and the product and the algorithm that we created, you know, the journey went was we, we figured that out. And then we created an alternative to, you know, lease security, mm-hmm. really what the driving product as an insurance, as a replacement for cash or letters of credit. And we successfully brought that to market for two years. But what we found, and even our customers, was that the, the due diligence, the underwriting, the fact that we did that really quickly and the type, the, the value of information that we were giving them was very valuable. And mm-hmm. we had customers saying, I, you know, I like this concept of the insurance, but I really want to start with you on, on this due diligence. And so it's always been a fintech product, but really more be focusing now more on this due diligence. And we're able to work with very, very large organizations like, you know, the shop cores and avenes of the industry, as well as small owners and really helping them be more efficient and saving valuable hours of time. You know, one one of the firms we work with, they're saving with them over a thousand hours a year of work time. So imagine wow. giving that back to an organization. Sure. And what's really fascinating about this journey 
And there is still, you know, solutions and and lease security that we will be able to provide, but really understanding like where to lead your product and your company. And it's Mm -hmm. been fascinating to hear just as yourself using our products and other customers validating like, you've spoiled me now. Like, I don't know what I would do without this. Like, that's a very compelling, you know, <laughs> statement from a customer. Absolutely. And it was really the strongest and uh, the strongest statements that we'd gotten from any of the solutions that we presented to the industry. And so that's where we ended up today. So just if, if I can sort of encapsulate what you just said, right? So the challenge was, trying to make sure that your product was relevant to the market, right? You had to test the market, make sure you had a good, you know, product market fit. And ultimately how you overcame that would be that you listened to your customers. Yeah. And, and not pivoted. only listen, but form relationships with yes. our customers. And I think one of the things that founders and I've done, you know, earlier on the mistakes that you they make is you have these customers who want to buy, but you're not as engaged with them and you're not as upfront because there's this balance of needing to present yourself to customers as like not this brand because no one wants to be the first one to try, right? Oh yeah, no. No one wants to. (laughs) And so you've got to present yourself with, okay, a little bit bigger than you are. A fake it till you make it component is in that. But then you also... And I think what not a lot of founders do is set those expectations of, hey, you're one of the earlier people adopting this. And I'd love for you to give me feedback, right? how I can make this better and how this is, am I assuming that the value prop that we developed this for is meeting the needs and is the same value prop. And that has been asking those types of questions has been so eye-opening for us to find, you know, what we're assuming is taken differently. And it's in fact, like way stronger and there's a stronger, I think, value that we're bringing to customers than we even expected, which is really interesting and fascinating. And that's invaluable, especially to the listeners that are tuning in today, because I, I believe that that's really coming from someone who's experienced it and pivoted, I think is just so very invaluable. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Let's talk a little bit about influence. I know that you are one of the highest and best (laughs) woman influencers in uh, in the industry. So how do you think your influence has actually impacted others? I didn't intend to be any sort of influencer in the beginning. This was not like some sort of like playbook that I had. It was really, it all started really just wanting to connect with more women. As you know, there's not a lot of women in our industries and there's other industries the same. And the difference I feel, uh, I, you know, I come, as you know, from my background, from, from industries that don't have a lot of women, the military, West Point. Yeah. But what I realized in the West Point and Army specifically was that I had a very amazing core group of women mm-hmm. that we stuck together and we helped each other succeed and we, you know, gave each other advice and we became sisters, essentially. And we're very committed to each other's success and just really getting through that difficult journey together. And I realized very like, you know, I missed that so much. I didn't have, I mean, I was lucky to talk to a woman a month, you know, in my world, in our world, like Mm. in, in from a sales or even an investor standpoint, there's only, 
you know, two women investors on my whole cap table, <laughs> wow. you know, and to give you an idea. And so it just really started with wanting to connect with other women. And so I started this list, as you know, you made it a most influential women in commercial real estate list. And I did some research on women selfishly that I thought I wanted to meet that I wanted to meet, not thought I wanted to meet because of what I was seeing them do on social media and what I was seeing them do and the impacts they were having on the industry. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. I, I released that list and we just met as a group with, you know, just wanting to inter- meet each other and fast forward three years. And that group of women has become like sisters to me as, as you're part of that group as well. And I think what we have given to each other is this aspect of community that we didn't have, is this aspect of getting us over imposter sin, our own imposter syndrome oh, and sure. just champion, championing each other. And for me, especially as an entrepreneur, it's been invaluable to have relationships at the level that we do because I've gotten candid information really quickly, getting to the nose. And getting to the, you know, finding holes in ideas and concepts is really difficult to get that kind of candid information. And that out of this group has been invaluable for me. I felt like I, I found I myself got a lot more confident within this group. Um, and again, just having a community that didn't exist before has been really, really pivotal and inspirational in my, in my life, personally and professionally, to be honest. Well, it's, it's really interesting, Marissa, that the question I posed for you just now was just about how you've become an influence in others. And yet you spoke mostly about how the others have influenced you. And that yeah. says a lot about who you are, Marissa. And let me tell you that I myself have been blessed by this group and this list that you put together, because for instance, even this podcast was inspired by a lot of the women that's in this group called the Power Beacons. And so I'm just so grateful to you. And I've told others that it is only by serendipity that I was invited to this group because we met at a C5 conference. I never thought that we would connect that way. And so I am grateful, not just to you, but to the whole group, because I feel as though, and we're talking about your influence, I feel as though I have been stimulated mentally And my spirit has been stimulated by the group that you put together. So, so thank you for that. that. I love hearing that. Thank you. I wanted to ask you if there was one piece of advice that you could give to someone who's listening into your episode, what would that be? I would say, uh, I think, you know, in relation to everything I kind of talked about today is really the courage, like don't be afraid to take calculated risks and chances when it's presented to you. And I think especially, you know, women are are less inclined to take risks and and take chances in a lot of areas. And so I think, you know, one of the things I've found, and trust me, this journey isn't easy. There's an aspect of me at times that was like, I could have done what other West Point or my, you know, my other West Point friends did out of college is like go to corporate America and have more security financially, have more certainty about my future. But I think what I realized, I, and one of the sayings I like to say is, is, is if you, if you're bored, sometimes comfort is the enemy of progress. 
Mm-hmm. And as human beings, we love, we love to be comfortable. We love our habits, but recognizing that sometimes that impedes on your own growth. And so actually that is one of my sayings, like in our Slack for our team is comfort is the enemy of progress. Cause in the startup world, you are living that day to day. And the reminder that being in positions of uncertainty and, you know, discomfort, you know, it's not healthy to do it constantly, being there constantly, but that it's actually part of life. You're, that's, you know, that whether it be you're taking it or something's going to happen to you, you know, that's just life is uncertainty and discomfort and really embracing that in some stances versus pushing it away. Uh, you know, just every, every situation is different. Every person is different, but having that kind of reminder in your head. Wow. I love that. People are afraid of change and risk for sure. So I love the way that you just shared that. That was, that was really awesome, Marissa. Well, if you think about the innovations that we've had every, you know, across technology, across anything, building countries, it was all from people that had that mindset. They had to have that mindset, right? To be somewhat, to be creators of anything you have to, you know, be willing to forge and, and take that risk and be uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've come to the time when I'm going to pass the mic over to you and you can ask yeah. me one question. So go ahead and ask me a question. Yeah. So I know, I mean, I've told you this before. I'm, I'm just so inspired by your journey and, you know, you've started to, a mentor, to be a mentor for me and, you know, you're older than me and, and seeing you, you were aligned in this kind of aspect of looking at life, especially our professional careers as not, you know, kind of doing different things over the phases of our lives. And I, I love that you were a singer. You had all, you know, a professional singer who traveled around the world. And by the way, those who are listening, she has an amazing voice. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm, yeah, I, you're just so talented in so many ways. But as we mentioned, it, people don't usually don't, aren't courageous enough or, or don't feel comfortable to go into a new industry where there is no community that you have. There is no, you know, certain certainty or security when you, when you choose to make these new, new pivots to the different industries that you, that you explored in your, in your professional life. So what motivated you? What was, what was behind all of that? Cause I think, you know, that aligns really well to some of a lot of women I know who, you know, quit their jobs to have children Mm-hmm. Um, for a little bit, and then they realize they want to go back. And there's a lot of fear behind going back into either a new industry or just going back to work in general. So what was that for you? So I would think that the fact that I'm an immigrant moving from originally from country to country, and then eventually ended up here in the United States, moving from state to state, what I didn't have was, like you said, community and networks. I didn't go to college here, so I don't have those connections that you have from yeah. West Point. I didn't go to high school here. I went to school literally all throughout all throughout my life in the Philippines. And so the the answer to your question would be you get boldness firstly because you want to make it. Right. And it's not just making it as in making it big. You just want to survive in the beginning as an immigrant. That's the beginning of that. And the boldness and the whole underdog mentality. Right. That's really what motivates me. And, And then later on in my life, 
I found out just by having role models like those that I've encountered in the past, and even you as my role model, I have a lot of young women and young people in general who have become role models for me. I realized that I could still break some glass ceilings. Yeah. I can still do that. And I'm 60. And sometimes I think to myself, okay, I have probably less time than somebody like you, for instance, who still has 20, 30 years. It's your choice to keep working. But I have limited time. But I keep reminding myself that I can still do it. I can still do it. I can still apply the same lessons that we talk about on this podcast to my life, even though I'm of mature age and I'm at a later point in my career building, I can still do it. And you can still pivot. That's the most important part is that, yes, the reason I think, and I just realized this very recently from the different interviews that I've done on this podcast, that reality is that the reason why I've had several changes in my career was because I moved from place to place Mm. and because I was an immigrant Mm -hmm. and this whole survival thing needed to kick in. And so whatever opportunity that my environment was able to open for me led me to this next stage of my life. And so I'm very grateful, firstly, to be in the United States of America. Secondly, to be welcomed to communities that I've never really been a part of and to be also respected because people do recognize someone's talent or they're able to open doors because of their instincts and their their heart for giving others this way to be able to make it through. So. That's really, in a nutshell, what motivates me to keep going, even though I'm older and I'm a minority woman, just like you. But you're you're an American, firstly. I became an American yeah. 23 years ago yeah. <laughs> only. So it's taken some time. But yes, I, I appreciate that question very much, Marissa. I love that uh, you I, mentioned, I, I agree totally with this whole aspect of, of the importance of having mentors that are younger than you. And I myself have sought out and have mentors that are, are younger than me because they shed light, like aspects and perspectives. And that's how I learned TikTok, right? Like that's how yeah. I got on the social media, you know, was, was some of these younger ones. And so, right. and one thing after hearing you answer that, that I think I want to make sure is highlighted because it's it's the same in my journey too. It, it was not like this hockey stick, right? Or, you know, it's just been, it's like plateaus. It's like you kind of go through a step and you plateau and then you step, you know, because people don't realize that there are times where you're in a holding pattern and mm-hmm. you know that you're, you're, you're where you are, but it's not necessarily going to be, you're not maybe feeling holy. Cause I've been in those situations too, where you're, um, you're kind of doing this to survive for the reason of the timing or outside reasons. You're maybe you're listening and you're not in this position. Maybe you're in what's called a holding pattern. And that's okay because those holding patterns in your life are just as important as the accelerating patterns because they they give you, you know, the opportunity and to just keep your eyes open because the next thing's coming. Always coming. Isn't yeah, that amazing? Always, always. <laughs> we so. just have to keep looking and keeping our eyes open and looking out for opportunity. 
Isn't that so, funny though? Because like the ones that I missed that I was disappointed with, like maybe it was jobs that I didn't get in the, you know, earlier on in my career or yeah. Like when, when things don't happen the way you seem, or even in the startup world where, you know, we didn't get that big account and I look back and I'm like, I'm glad we, you know, it happened for a reason because mm-hmm. we needed to pivot or it happened. If I would have got that job, I might not have started my companies, you know, or like been where I am today. And so yeah, you know, my brother was interviewing for jobs and I gave him this advice the other day. I was like, I know rejection feels horrible. It doesn't feel good to anyone, but look at it as a sense that it's just a sign that something else is out there that you're, that's, you know, more fitted and suited for you. Right. And the more no's you get, the closer you are to a yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I've enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you I, so I really love that you come from such a wonderful background being in the military and not just the military, but West Point. I think that's very revered in the military world world. And so I appreciate it so much that you've come on the show and you've been so generous in sharing all the things that you shared on this episode. So I wish you all the best. And I know we're going to see each other very, very soon, yes. Marissa, because we're of both course. from Orlando. <laughs> yes. And we both love music. We do. So yes. so I want to thank you again for for spending time with me. Thank you for having me, Veronica. Oh yeah. It was an it was honor. Great. It was great. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.